0: You're listening to the People's Podcast.
1: I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another.
0: This is JSC Radio.
2: Silence is the voice of the oppressor. Oftentimes, your silence is choosing a side. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Which causes harm often. And then also, I think like what people deem non bias is generally like what they really mean is like, no, come at this as if you are coming from the perspective of a rich white man who's slim and who is a Christian. Anything that that person would, and did I say straight? Yes. And, and that person, <laughs> anything, that's what I meant. Like all of those things, like that is what people deem to be non-biased. But that's so unfair. And it's also, it still comes with bias. It's just that you can't delete your perspective in this world. And everyone's, is, it's different. And it matters in the way we move through this world. And, you know, like you can be Christian and still tell a story very fairly about an atheist. Exactly. You know, but that doesn't mean that you have to pretend that um, you didn't go to church Sunday.
0: You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is J.S.C. Radio, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, how's it going? Nah, uh, you know I gotta do. Hey now, my name is Jay Scott Smith and this is the 105th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. How's it going, y'all? Welcome to all my first timers. Welcome, damn it, welcome once again, my friends, to the podcast that never friggin' ends. I want to thank those of you who are joining us for the first time. Thanks to our guest on this week's show. I'll get to her in a second. I want to thank each and every one of y'all who supports this show. Of course, across all the different podcast providers, I'm talking about Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Shout out to those of you who are checking out the show for the first time on Radio Dot com. Yes, that edition got made shortly after episode 104 dropped last week. And I want to give a big shout out and a big what up to, of course, Antoinette Newton-Aqua for coming on on episode 104. The YouTube version of that is already up on the YouTube page, which is bit.ly slash JSCTube. You can also hear the show, of course, on Audio Boom on Stitcher. Be sure to get your one month free of Stitcher Premium by dropping in that promo code JSC. You already know what it is. You get one free month. Tell them I sent you. Also, big up everybody who's listening on Audio Boom. Make sure I get the name right here. I'm rattling through these so quickly because I really want to get to this guest. I, of course. I want to thank all of y'all who have supported the show across every different platform, including iHeartRadio and on Spotify. Be sure to follow me on social media. You can follow the show on Twitter at JSC Radio. Follow the show on Instagram at JSC Radio. Follow the show on Facebook at JSC Radio. And, of course, you know you can follow me, J. Scott Smith, at J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. Thank you so much for joining J. Scott Confidential this week. As I mentioned before, the name has always been J. Scott Confidential, but now we're just putting some respect on it. And speaking of putting some respect on those names, our guest this week is Miss Brooke Thomas, and she joins us from the Young Turks. I want to thank them for helping get this whole thing together. But before I go into this, I haven't gotten off on a sports tangent in a while. And normally, the way that the format is, quote, changed on this show, I tend to kind of shy away from going on a lot of my old school monologues when it comes to sport. But this one, this one is needed because... And I'm going to try to make this as quick as I possibly can because I could go on this for two hours. But (sighs) Colin Kaepernick, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, I am 100% in support of the man. So don't think that I'm going to be following the, uh, the pattern of head assery that has been going on amongst my fellow black men in media as well as other people in media in general talking about this. But I'm going to get this out of here real quick, get this off real quick sincerely bothers me watching the continued I mean I will say this much for the Colin Kaepernick narrative y'all just don't seem to run out of ways to prostitute this thing and try to contort it into a into a way that suits your point of view this asinine notion after that rather fraudulent quote-unquote workout that he had last week from the NFL has been seeing an inordinate amount of black men in media towing this very bizarre line saying over and over again, he didn't really want to play in the NFL because he didn't do all the things that they wanted them to do, including signing a waiver That had a couple of clauses buried pretty deep in it that no attorney worth his salt would ever let a client sign. That would largely indemnify the NFL, A, against any injuries in case you know he blows an ACL or blows an Achilles while running around out there. And B, you know, indemnifies them from ever having to actually sign him. Meaning he could go through this dog and pony show and they won't sign him and he can't sue them again. And then there's also the whole idea that they tried to basically ram this thing through and give him a quote opportunity to, you know, work out. But also at the same time, they had no real, they, they had no real intention of doing anything with them. But yet all I've seen since late Saturday are certain individuals who happen to look like me getting on TV, getting on radio, getting on their podcasts, getting on print, whatever, and letting the head assery just get completely out of control. I promise I won't take too much longer with this, but this has been bothering me. I think the thing that bugs me the most, and I think the thing that bugs these guys the most about Colin Kaepernick is when you think about all the scenarios when these guys have had to go through Getting back into the league because this is a league that has welcomed back such individuals as guys who have beaten up their wives, guys who have beaten up their kids, guys who have killed dogs, dudes who have run drugs, dudes that have done drugs, dudes that have beaten up random people on the street, people who have committed DUIs, killed people. They get all these second and third and fourth chances and they get all these second and third and fourth chances because they basically grovel at the feet of the NFL. Antonio Brown is groveling at the feet of the New England Patriots to be allowed back into the league. These guys are all dudes who, in most common parts of society, would never get a second shot at a real gig. They are guys who have been suspended for multitudes of reasons. Greg Hardy got multiple chances in the NFL and showed very little contrition for what he did to those women. The reason I bring all of them up is to say this. Those are guys who legitimately should have been kept out of the league for one reason or another. Michael Vick and Plaxico Burris served prison time and were welcomed back with open arms because they came back to the league on their hands and knees. They came back begging to get back in because they all know that they f***ed up. They done unfed up and they found a way to end up out of the league. The difference between these guys and Colin Kaepernick is Colin Kaepernick didn't deserved to be pushed out of the league. He did nothing wrong, nothing. So when you hear Dender Mifflins like Rex Ryan get on ESPN and say that I couldn't have him in my locker room, he's a distraction. Oh, Rex Ryan, the same guy who brought Richie Incognito into his locker room. The same Richie Incognito who got himself essentially booted from the league for hazing and peppering him with racial slurs. The same Richie Incognito who attacked an innocent man at a gym. The same Richie Incognito who showed up at a funeral home with a car full of guns and still gets chances in the NFL. You don't want that kind of distraction, though, in your locker room. God forbid. The same Rex Ryan who himself was a massive distraction while he was the head coach of the New York Jets. While he himself was running around on stage with Donald Trump knowing full well you got a locker room full of black players who hate themselves from Donald Trump in the midst of Kaepernick protesting police violence and police brutality, you're on stage with Donald Trump as he mocks NFL players who have concussions. But please, let's, let's keep Colin Kaepernick out of your locker room. A lot of this comes from, a lot of this head assery comes from this idea, and I see it from a lot of black men, and it's something that unfortunately, I see a lot of in the industry I work in, and I've seen a lot of it in a lot of the different industries, is that even if we weren't wrong, We need to assume the posture and position that we are. We need to, quote, go along to get along. And you just look at the same line of thinking coming out of all these dudes, the Stephen A. Smiths and the Jason Whitlocks and Tiki Barber, which again, Tiki Barber a guy who had a near Hall of Fame career as a running back who was so disliked in the Giants' locker room that they celebrated when he was gone. In fact, as soon as he left, they won a Super Bowl. That, that's where Tiki Barber is. The same Tiki Barber who, while he was at NBC, cheated on his wife, his pregnant wife with an intern, has the nerve to say he's disappointed in Colin Kaepernick for not properly bending the knee, you, you see what I did there, to the NFL. This notion that you have to go along to get along You have to apologize. You have to humble yourself. It makes no sense. And since Kaepernick refuses to fall for the respectability nonsense of dropping to a knee and humbling himself and going along to get along like so many of these other dudes do, it drives them up the wall. And we're left with dudes who are shaped like big toes and thumbs wagging their judgmental fingers at a dude who refuses to simply do what they did and cave and be like antonio brown begging for forgiveness on twitter the difference is kaepernick has nothing to apologize for he doesn't have to beg for forgiveness he didn't do anything wrong that's why he's not doing it nor should he and maybe if some of these dudes had a bit of a spine they would understand that but they're too busy going along to get along and what we're going to get along to is our amazing guest Coming up after this break, we will switch gears and get ready to have a conversation with Brooke Thomas, a host from the Young Turks Network, right here on the 105th episode of the People's Podcast. Its name is J. Scott Confidential, but you can call it JSC Radio. And we'll be back with Brooke Thomas coming up after this. You're listening to the People's Podcast. I'm not going to be responsible for what happens next. This is Jay. S C Radio. Hey now, J. Scott Smith here. Of course, you know, I am the host of JSC Radio, which you have heard on Stitcher from the very beginning, because in case a lot of you don't remember, Stitcher was the first major podcast platform to pick up my show. And now they want to give something back to each and every one of you listeners on Stitcher. Introducing Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad free, mind you. With Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month or, if you prefer, $34.99 a year. You can get access to Stitcher originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and so much more. Listen to shows like the Fantasy Footballers ad-free. Or you can get shows like Dunk on Basketball and, of course... JSC Radio. Simply go to Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. That's Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today, and when you go there, drop in the promo code JSC and get you one free month of Stitcher Premium. Don't ever say I ain't do nothing for y'all. Remember, it's Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and get one month free by dropping that promo code JSC. S C. It's just that simple, baby. Get on Stitcher Premium right now, and you can get the best in podcasting. You're listening to The People's Podcast. You can't say F you to your granddaughter. I just did, Morty. Here's dessert. F- you. This is JSC Radio. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. Brooke, it's been a ride this year. I mean, 2018... Yeah. Has had its ups and downs. Everybody says that about every year, but we're 2018, right?
2: But it's been a year with me right. here with you guys. Yes, this has been the probably most. I say it all the time. Like I, the most like welcoming newsroom experience of You know, I've worked in a lot of newsrooms, a lot of nasty newsrooms, you know, <laughs> and I've made some friends amongst that. But like this has been the happiest, like I don't know, experience of. And and, and more than that, I, I've like I always talk about like um. Like this whole weird two sides things that like local news keeps making us do when they're not two sides to a lot of issues. Like murderers, bad. Racism, eh, there's two sides. That's kind of like yeah, local news it's, That's it's their thing, and so analogy. I like that I get to um, stop that here. It's refreshing. I feel like it's responsible. So this has been outside of like all my friends here. I get to, you I don't actually know, have it's a, like I feel it's such a great a space here. Do you actually
1: memorized for your, when you, you said it's been a year and no, I really? no, was like, really? is it? No, it was
2: like specific? November 26th or something. I filled an unpop trigger with Jason. Oh, Like after okay. Thanksgiving, you guys were all gone, yeah.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So, Brooke, you've been wonderful. Thank uh, you. Yeah, and uh, so that's one of the upsides of 2018 is that we got to spend the year with you. This is the 105th episode of The People's Podcast. This is J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here. I was remiss in that first segment without shouting out my man's doc gillingsworth whose music you hear underneath you right now plus biggest shout out to my man awesome jones whose title track blue chucks is the song that brings you into this podcast each and every single week once again want to thank each and every one of y'all who support the show across all the different podcast providers including apple podcasts itunes Talking about SoundCloud and Stitcher, talking about Audio Boom. Big up to Radio.com, who's the newest host of this thing. Of course, shout out to Castbox, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, among so many others. It's not just those. They're all over the place. Just put in J. Scott Confidential, and I'm sure you will find us. So let's get over to our guest for this week. And our guest is a young woman who I have been looking forward to talking to for a while. Her name is Brooke Thomas. Brooke was born in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I can only think of two individuals from Oklahoma that I would love to talk to. One is Brooke Thomas, and the other one is Jim Ross. But I got lucky in being able to get Brooke today. She graduated from the University of Oklahoma, so she's the only person I'll be able to drop the word boomer on and she won't get offended it seems. She started her career in North Dakota and has since then worked in Lubbock, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Memphis, Philadelphia, and has been in Los Angeles since 2017, where since 2018 she has worked on The Young Turks. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about her path in media, how she got started, plus how she's able to navigate and balance things in this business being obviously, a black woman in media. So buckle up, y'all. We had plenty of time to talk about this earlier this week. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 105th episode of J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. And let's get into our conversation with Brooke Thomas from the Young Turks. So, Brooke, I can say that it is an absolute pleasure to be able to finally talk to you <laughs> after we've gone back and forth here. It's a pleasure to have you on JSE Radio, by the way, and thank you so much for doing this with me.
2: No, thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it.
0: I will say that I, in the prep I've done on on you, on the person that you are, I, you have a pretty cool story going from the very beginning you've worked your way through small markets, you've done the traditional route that so many people in in media have done, whether it's radio, TV, whatever. And so many people see you on nowadays, it's on the Young Turks. And I'll get to I'll get to your time on TYT. But I like to talk about people's stories first, like really where they start. I know you're from Oklahoma originally. And what first got you interested in wanting to go into media? How old were you when you figured out TV media is what you wanted to do?
2: You know, I have no idea. That's so weird that I don't have, I don't think like a really strong point of when like, you know what, I realized this is what I'm going to do. I think that in college, it felt more like what else would I do?
1: This fits.
2: (laughs) I think that I was raised by my grandparents to very, very old people, like very old, like older (laughs) than your average grandparents. And, uh, you know, older people, older black people, especially they love the news. They like the newspaper. They like to watch the news all day long, different versions of the news, and so I was right there with them, watching the news, consuming the news, and I like it. Watching Oprah, watching Entertainment Tonight, because we watched uh, the channel. We watched everything. I just remember everything back to back. Those were the soap operas she watched. Those were that was the news <laughs> channel she liked. I remember the meteorologist's name, and then I was always kind of like a part of speaking activities or programs at in like middle school and high school and then here comes college and we got to the point to where you had to choose a major and it, it just made sense
0: it just fit you yeah it's int- it's so much int- and you're from muskogee oklahoma
2: i am yeah a really small town
0: dude the i've heard of the phrase okie from muskogee i've heard but it never just, met one right never met one you're the first <laughs> okie from muskogee that i have met. How was uh, what was it like growing up in in Muskogee, Oklahoma? My cousin actually worked in Lawton, Oklahoma, in her first okay. TV job, and she's originally from the South too. And that was an interesting experience for her.
2: So she was at KSWO. She was, was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, see, oh
0: yeah, so you know, yeah, it's like she was. <laughs> she that's where she started, and yeah. she's told me about the life in Oklahoma. Just kind of, it was different, even for her growing up in Alabama. For you. What's it like? What was it like growing up down in that part of the country?
2: That's so funny because I thought I was from the South until I moved to Memphis for work. And then I realized that there's the deep south. And there is the somewhat middle southern part of the country that really is just the country.
0: <laughs> the mid, the mid-south. Not at Southwest. all the south. Right. It,
2: it is it, not at all the south.
0: It's its own spot. And it you interesting you brought up Memphis. I know your one of your early jobs was in the Dakotas. Like yeah, my very
2: first job was in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got...
0: <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> so tell me about that, because I know I talk to a lot of students as well, and mm-hmm. I tend to tell them is that generally your first radio job or TV job is going to be in a smaller market, one of those markets in the hundreds down Well, My first mar, my first media market was Lansing, Michigan. That was yeah. 112, and you, you started in North Dakota, I mentioned parts of Oklahoma, different places. What was that experience like for you out of college, you get to North Dakota, and it's you said it was miserable. <laughs> you yeah, described- it was
2: miserable. My first TV job was just awful. I was a bureau reporter about an hour away from the main station. I had no coworkers that I worked with every day. I shot everything, edited everything, which is fine, but like you I was com- by myself and it just was um so w- weird. And I do know that like still this business isn't always, you know, like super glamorous and you are going to be half you have to make sacrifices that you could also look at them as kind of like investments in your career. Right. Um, but I don't, I think that hearing, you know, like I was a kid who came from a family that didn't have a ton of money. Like I was, you know, a good student, a hustler, and I wanted to be in this business and I kept hearing all of, you know, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be really small. It's going to be this. But I think that I should have taken a little bit more time to be a little choosier because i'm not sure that your first job has to be a horror show i think and that's true by the way it's not gonna be perfect um but i think that sometimes we have a couple more options and i don't know if i had to do everything like move to the snow to a bureau be an mmj i think that was too much i think it was like pick one pick one of the rough things
0: you you inherit all three <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you went with the combo meal give me that one in the middle in a state with like eight or nine black people in it to begin I
2: know with. I would hear that all the time like um you must be Somalian and you know what I don't know maybe um wow I I don't know uh, I don't where are we going with this I don't maybe. I do mean, you know. I don't, I mean, Twenty-three of me wasn't super popular. Then. I don't know.
0: I just had that conversation on the last episode where I find out that part that a large mo- amount of me is like from either is either Cameroon, Nigeria, or Ghana, and it's those three. And when you walk into these smaller towns and these smaller markets, and you're the only one there, the only one in the newsroom, and I and I hear that a lot in the podcast that you do too, controlling our narrative, which I've I, has become like an, an obsession of mine, going oh. through all the episodes, getting. Do you know, like it? I I love that podcast. Good, I love good, that. Good. I love the format of it because you guys, and thankfully on this podcast we can say whatever too. You guys manage to shoot the shit about a lot of things. that just go back and forth, and there's a lot of open dialogue there. Yeah. And. I can tell with you just from talking to you and having seen you, there is we we're kindred spirits when it comes to black people in media. Mm -hmm. I feel that we both kind of come from the same idea where there's this idea of black members of the media and and in newsrooms where we often have to either temper what we say. We have to kind of toe a very fine line in these. Right. And, I, and and some of the things that I've heard you say at the same time, I'm just, as soon as I listened to it, it's like, geez, it sounds like we worked in the exact same place. We, <laughs> We've the, all
2: worked in the exact same place, unfortunately. I
0: mean, what has what have some of your experiences, and we obviously don't have to talk about a particular market because apparently it's across just about all of them. What have some of your experiences been on both the positive and negative side? Because anyone who sees you, you're this attractive brown woman, not just black woman, brown woman. And I've seen... So often for so many years, there are black women on television. It's not too many that I see who look like us, especially when I was a kid growing up. There weren't a lot of black women. There, can, I can name two off the top of my head in Detroit, even, who look like you. And I know that there are the pitfalls of being in newsrooms and the things that we put up with on a daily basis that I don't think people quite understand. It's different for a black journalist in these in these settings.
2: No, for sure. And I'm glad that you you asked me also like the positives, because I, I you, you're not often asked that, but when I worked in Memphis, I went there for an interview and the news director, Ken Jobe, he picked me up. And then, um, I went back to the station, sat in his office, interviewed with him. Ken is a black man who like everybody in this business knows and his, and then also another executive, uh, Nick Burchett, like met with him, met with a, a lot of the other employees. And then I think it was the next day because I spent the night in Memphis and then came back to the station the next day. They took me to lunch and I was really like, "Okay, I'm really vibing with this place. I like this city. I like these people. And Nick says, you know, I want you to meet someone. She'll be in in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the main anchor, her name is Merle Purvis. Okay. And she had been there. She's very popular. She'd been there for years, completely deserving of all of her popularity. And uh, so he took me to her office And so I go in her office and sit down Mm -hmm. and we talked for hours and that became that I was already really interested in moving to Memphis and taking this job, but that I was sold. Like I was like, there nothing can compete with this. And she became, she's like a big sister to me now, but just like such a a mentor and such just to have like another black woman, another dark brown skin, black woman who, um, has been in this business for so long, and then also like, sometimes I think you need a check too, you know, because you can get in a space where you think everything is bad, and you need somebody to be like, okay, no, 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 you're tripping. Like, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you need someone that you trust. Um, it, it just was so nice to have her, and and sometimes we had difficult conversations, but there was po- everything was positive. Everything was about growth and learning. But just like someone who had my back, and still so to this day has my back, and Um, I remember her coming in early to give me like a critique on a live shot that I had done during the morning show. And that was such a positive experience as someone who just like genuinely wants you to be your best and lots of compliments. And, and, you know, so it wasn't just like her helping me be better. It was her being encouraging and to my personal life, to my professional life. Um, And so I want to be that I always want to be that I, When I was in Philly, I started this Facebook group. Um, And it's a little private Facebook group. And I think we have like 800 or so members, but it's called Black Women on TV. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: it is all black women who are on air, period, like in news. So any aspect of news, traffic, you know, reporter, anchor, anybody who's on air. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a couple people in Nigeria, someone in London. Um, But just kind of coming from that space of, my second TV job, my first TV job, I basically had no day-to-day co-workers. My second TV job in Lubbock, I had, it was a good environment, but there, there, I was the only Black person on air in the entire market.
0: The entire market?
2: In the entire market, yeah. And so it was kind of like, you don't really know yourself, you know, that early in your career. There's so many things. Like, you don't know what makeup works best. And then you have a consultant who comes in and the darkest color is like, this color. And it's like, what am I, what am I going to do?
0: The that? palm of your hand, um, pointed <laughs> in the palm of her hand, by the way. Oh yeah, that's right. I,
2: so we're on video together, but I, I am forgetting that, you know, not Hands everybody off. is going to be able to see me, but. Yeah, so I wanted to just kind of like start this space where those same women who are starting out in this business aren't alone because you have this group of, of women who have your back and who can be what Merle was to me, but online.
0: <laughs> no, it's a, and that's a good thing to bring up because quite often we walk into these newsrooms and sometimes we're on that island. Like you yeah. you, you noted, you're, you were essentially on an island under yourself in North Dakota and in Lubbock, Texas. You get to Memphis Which is a much blacker city, much more diverse. It's like a and it was like ninety nine point
2: nine percent. I was like, "What is this world?"
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's so brown here. All these wow. (laughs) (laughs) My experience has been working in places like Lansing, Michigan, which is a relatively diverse city. It was like an oasis in the middle of the Mitten in Michigan. But other than that, outside of Detroit, Lansing, and Flint, you're not going to have a lot of black places to work. You kind of have to get. In and out of there. When I worked in New Jersey, I was kind of just stuck in the middle of this shore town where I'm like the lone black dude. It's not till I worked and walked into my current place in Philadelphia where I was finally in a newsroom was like, holy shit, I'm not the only black guy in here. Yeah, we can actually have rap conversations We can (laughs) room at each other. And we know that, hey, man, that's not cool. Or maybe we should cover this from this angle or do this sort of thing. It can be very uplifting when you know you've got a when you've got a crew behind you instead of having to be that person fighting from underneath all the time. And you've just got that one voice in there. And it's it, it can be stressful. And I know for being a woman, it's even tougher that even it's hard enough on us as black men, but I know it's even harder on women sometimes really coming into these places
2: and these Yeah, for sure. And just like no one who kind of moves through this world like you, it's it's hard to have even some of the most basic conversations. You know, and, and not even from a malicious point at all, at all times. It's just, um, you know, we're all different.
0: Oh, exactly. And, and you know, that's also kind of wondering, you don't want to get miscast as angry. If you speak up, that's like the, that's the code word for everybody is it? oh, you were angry and you were yeah. laughing. You were aggressive. Uh, and I think like, that's it.
2: Oh. Right. It's like it's a negative stereotype that has nothing to do often with um, the action that's being expressed. It's really just like has to do with the person who's saying that and their perspective. Of black women, even if they're smiling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Memphis. And in my research on you, you had an amazing story about an instance in Memphis where a a gentleman was accused of a crime.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: I found the video, I found the clip of it. It was fascinating to watch. I'd love for you to tell that story because I can't do it any justice, but (laughs) it was one of those, it's almost one of those things I would tell students is that you always have to stay ready in case a story like that jumps off. And I'll let you go from there. But this was pretty, this was actually pretty incredible in Memphis.
2: Yeah, so my schedule in Memphis was kind of, uh, I got to work, I don't know, did I get to work at three or? I don't remember. Let's say I get to work at three. I'm on air at 4.30. And so I anchored from 4.30 to six and kind of, throughout that time, the first hour and a half of the show, me and my co-anchor, I would always be out in the field and he stayed in studio afterwards because we had a five and a half hour long morning show. Fox uh, local stations, they don't have um, like the big three networks. They don't have a national network morning show. So the locals just kind of stretch it out through that time period. Just in case people don't know why we had a five and a half hour long show. But um, throughout the first hour and a half, that's when, you know, I'm kind of figuring out like, you know, what's the top story in case something doesn't break? What would I want to cover? What should I be on to report on throughout the rest of the morning show when I'm out in the field? And there was a story about um, a woman who says that she was carjacked and two of her children were kidnapped in the middle of the night. It happened that night before. So just a few hours before, she says that I think the story was that she pulled up around midnight or so with her three kids in the car, I think like a five-year-old, a two-year-old and an infant. And when she got out of the car, someone came from the back of the car around and they stabbed her with an ice pick or a pin or something like that. And then jumped in the driver's seat. Well, the five-year-old, I think had the wherewithal to get out of the car as the car is like slowly backing out of the driveway. And then the two babies were in car seats and their babies, you know, they're they kind of lucky. It's kind of amazing that the five-year-old was was that brave. And um, yeah, the
1: definitely. kids
2: later on, the two younger kids were both found in the middle of the night. You know, I think a couple hours later, within uh, I guess like miles of each other. But the mother was in the hospital, and police say that the mother gave them a suspect. That she's saying the person who stole her car, who uh, stabbed her, is a man that she knew. So we had this man's name, and police had put out. Um, this information, we had this man's name. And so all that morning, we've been reading the story saying police are looking for this man. They say this, 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 and that. And I go out. That's the story I'm going to cover. So I go out and I I think my live shot started around either 6.30 or 7. So I get to my spot. It's a neighborhood. Um, During the breaks, I'm knocking on all the doors like, hey, does anybody want to talk? This happened to their neighbor. Nobody wants to talk. Uh, Nobody knows anything. Nobody wants to be on camera. Nobody wants to talk about anything. And maybe after my first live shot, I'm sitting in the live truck. We had this Hummer. It was a Fox 13 thing in Memphis. But I'm sitting in the Hummer. My photographer is outside i think it was randy i think his name was randy and so he's outside um do messing with this camera but i'm sitting in the passenger seat and someone knocks on the window so i roll the window down and i'm like hey what's up and he's like my name is and he gives his name and he says my mom says y'all are looking for me and i'm like what and so <laughs> um the name he gives me is the name that police are telling us they're looking for and so I, like, it just kind of was, like, quick thinking. I think that, one, when you hear that, like, this person allegedly stabbed someone, you're uncomfortable. You are nervous about being in their space. And then on another thing, I'm like, this person has been accused of a crime but not convicted of a crime. And, like, is it fair for me to not give him the same space to say his piece when I'm giving the police officers narrative?
0: It's the and innocent. So, and guilty
2: right and so it's you know am I, I, I it's not my job to to make any decisions and so i said give me two seconds and i rolled the window up and i called my producer shannon at the time and i'm like listen i think that um we need to break in i think we need to go on air like you know can this happen this happened and so she's like oh my goodness yes
0: new this morning a mother stabbed baby girl taken this unfolding overnight while you were sleeping fox 13's brooke thomas live on pleasant road in whitehaven where this all happened brooke what's the latest development here
2: yeah this morning we've been telling you all morning police say a woman was carjacked stabbed and her two kids went missing when the person who stabbed her they say took the car with the kids in it now they found the two kids later but all morning long they've been looking for the man they say did this and we're told they've been looking for a man named Derek fisher i've been telling you that all morning long excuse me Derek pfeiffer all morning long Man named Derek Pfeiffer just walked up to me and said, He's Derek Pfeiffer. He wants to clear his name. We have him right here. Um, Derek, so you're telling me that your mom woke you up and told you she's hearing about your name on the news? This yes, man. What'd she say?
1: She said she told me what did I do last night? Boy, you did this. Boy, you did that. So I know I ain't do nothing. so I put on my shoes and I walked over her house just to let her know she she know I ain't do nothing like that. She just know my full name and she only been around me and she don't been around nobody else. So she expect me to do something like that. Who is she? Uh, Nisha. That's her name in this house right here. I uh couple with the kids, everything, the whole house. She lived by herself, by five six kids. She already know that I don't up no kids. And she was just crying to me because she got her kids back and stuff like that.
2: Why do you think police are looking for you? Why do you think they got your name?
1: Because she gave them my name. She know my full name. And if she don't, if, if and I know how she is. If she can't get her truck or her kids back, she gonna put a name out here because this I'm, this me. I I be in these streets right here. I be over her house and this, and I'd be over in two lines. So
2: we, uh, I go out and he's live on the air, says his name. And then, and it's funny because in, um, I, I was nervous and you know, this is like my second job because I was in North Dakota for such a short period of time. And there was such a different learning aspect when you are uh, MMJ Bureau than when you're in, you know, a real newsroom. And so I was super green, you know, and I was so nervous, I remember. I remember I, I like, so, <laughs> I said his name. I feel bad, like, using his name, even though, like, you can find it. But I misspoke and said a different name, which was the name of, like, a popular basketball player at the time. We're told they've been looking for a man named Derek Fisher. I've been telling right. you that all morning long. Excuse me, Derek Pfeiffer, all morning long. Oh, no. And I remember <laughs> he corrected me. The guy behind me was like, no, it's this. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> And he went on air, and he, you know, he said he was clearing his name, that she was confused, that they're friends, they hang out, and it just was a kind of a confusing story. But he talked for a while, and then as he walks off, he turns around and says, All right, well, thanks for talking to us. All uh, right, thank you. Thank you All right, there you have it. You're beautiful. And I remember my thought was, sir, not now. I fam. Focus.
0: This is not the time nor the place.
2: Right, and then uh, later after I was long gone from Memphis, he was acquitted from those charges. So the jury really, found him not guilty.
0: So he was telling the truth. That's, that's fascinating. I In my research, I looked the guy up after the fact, and mm-hmm. apparently he's recently been arrested for armed robbery. So he's actually sitting in jail oh, again. in Memphis right now, but he was cleared mm-hmm. of what he was accused of then. Mm-hmm. But Unfortunately, now he's still in jail. We're back in jail, I should say. Yeah, wow. That is fascinating because there are a lot of moments and that is maybe one of the biggest stay ready type of moments. because sometimes Mm -hmm. sometimes you go find news and sometimes the news comes and finds you.
2: Yeah, you just got to be willing to talk to everybody. I think sometimes people go into these neighborhoods and don't want to have conversations with strangers. You know, I'm protected. I'm with a photographer. I'm with someone who has my back. I'm fine. I should roll the window down and speak to people, you know. And that's where, you know, you get some of your best stories, not even like an incident like this, but just community stories. You get them from the community. You don't get them from press releases. You don't get them from the police. You don't get them from the school board. You get them from the people who live there and who watch your show.
0: And that is definitely one way to be able to maintain a good rapport in your community is really getting out on that limb and talking to people. It's something that I tell students. It's something that I tell Young journalists who are just getting in, don't be afraid to jump out that car, get out on those streets, and actually talk to people. Coming up after this break, we pick up on more about Brooke's path that has led her to this major gig in Los Angeles, what it was like when she first got to L.A., plus what it's like for her as a black woman in media and what advice she has for young black women who are trying to jump into this business my name is jay scott smith and this is episode 105 of jay scott confidential but you can call it jsc radio and we'll be back with more of brooke thomas after this you're listening to the people's podcast
1: have you ever been unemployed
0: were you nervous man all right this is j s c radio
1: i love card night you ready boys
0: you got a king
1: go fish dad oh
0: come on <laughs> this is wwe superstar titus o'neil it only takes a moment to make a moment take time to be a dad today learn more at 877 4 dad 411 or visit fatherhood.gov brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services in the ad council You're listening to The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. This is the 105th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, also known as J. Scott Confidential. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here. I want to thank all of you who support this show, all of you new guests and you first-timers, and you returning guests, all of you. Welcome Damn it! welcome. Be sure to follow on social media. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at JSC Radio. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at J. Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two Ts, S-M-I-T-H. I'm real J. Scott Smith on Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe to this show on YouTube, bit.ly slash JSC Tube. All right, bit.ly slash JSC Tube. Hit subscribe and hit that notification bell so you don't miss another update when this video jumps onto the website within the next week to 10 days. So let's get back into this conversation we're having with Brooke Thomas and we'll pick things up talking about reporter safety as someone who is a reporter himself and who has a family member who's also in this business. It's always a harrowing thing, especially these days, to be out in that field and at times being wide open. Brooke talks about how she handled some of her business out there. And we, of course, will get into her path to Los Angeles. But let's get it moving. This is episode 105 of J. Scott Confidential, and we'll continue our conversation with Brooke Thomas. in this day and age in journalism is we we find ourselves constantly having to kind of come up with different ways to do our jobs because it's dangerous out there unfortunately because i hear it all the time i see it especially on the tv side where tv reporters are wide open you have women are being harassed by dudes in the background or people trying to speak or trying to talk to them i think as some as someone who's been out there who's been in the field very quickly kind of gives a little bit more of an understanding of how of how tenuous that can be, because you can have a great moment where you're having a back and forth with someone and there could be some some jackass in the background trying to make a name for themselves or they're trying to mess with you on air. How do you maintain your focus when you're when you're standing in a situation like that?
2: There, You know, you know what? I don't know. I don't know why I'm good at that, because sometimes it doesn't even come from the people um, around you. Sometimes it's what's going on in your ear. Sometimes the producer is talking to you. Sometimes you can hear yourself accidentally because of some button press. I don't know how I stay focused amidst like, you know, wild things happening. But also I think that you learn to focus in kind of, uh, you're always on deadline. There could be a scene that's chaotic. I mean think about like something in a bigger market you don't necessarily cover these at all but in a smaller market you're at a house fire right so it's yeah. a really big house fire and there's a lot of people standing outside and you have got to figure out how to avoid the smoke how to walk through and find somebody who actually saw it who knows what's going on who lives there who is willing to talk and um you're, you've got to make sure your photographer's over there so you can get things going at the same time you've got to get all this information and then you've got to rush over to a quiet place so you can write your story really quickly and you may not have <laughs> A laptop there to go through your sound bites, so you've got to, you know, go back through your notes, and um, you just learn how to focus while you're really, really busy. And, and it, I imagine, I guess, like the, I, I've never really thought about it, but I guess like like the default from that is a bonus is that you learn how to stay focused when somebody is, you know, doing weird stuff uh, <laughs> behind the camera. You know, know. It,
0: it's it's strange, but it's amazing yeah. how you're able to make. A lot of that work, and I, I look. I look at the path you've taken. You've gone from you've gone from University of Oklahoma to North Dakota. You've been in Lubbock and Memphis and Philadelphia, and then you find yourself in Los I was Angeles.
2: In Dallas at one point. Dallas too. That's
0: right. So you I mean a couple of major markets, and now you find yourself in Los Angeles. And now you're on the now you're on TYT Young Turks.
1: Yeah.
0: How did that come about for you when when you got to LA? I know you were you were doing you were doing red carpet stuff. I remember seeing you do that. <laughs> How did the opportunity come about with TYT?
2: So when I moved to L.A. because I signed a holding deal for a show on Fox Local. So kind of like Fox Local, like the real Wendy Williams, like this Fox syndication, excuse me, that um, are syndicated shows that are on Fox Local stations around the country. I signed a deal for a show called Top 30, and it was a holding deal, which meant that I couldn't officially take another job all summer But there were multiple women who were potentially gonna fill this female co host role who, uh, like, one of them would be chosen. So it wasn't a done deal, but I felt really confident and good about it, you know? So I move out here and I'm freelancing kind of in the meantime and taking meetings and. I was on my third meeting at E! News, and this guy walks in, and I just remember he was just beautiful and dressed so nice. And I was like, oh my goodness, who is this? Like, you know how like, you get that vibe, like, I want to be friends with this person. Oh my goodness. And he sits down next to me, and we started chatting, and we ended up, um, they were kind of auditioning a bunch of us, kind of for a panel show and moving people in and out and trying to see, like, you know, who linked with who, a little bit more of your personality uh, while interacting with other people. And we We're on set together and just had so much fun that we exchanged numbers afterwards and kind of kept in touch. And after the holding deal um, fell through, I didn't get that job. Actually, none of the women got that job. They brought in a different woman. After that, I was still freelancing, uh, doing different, like, L.A. things. And he called me and said, hey, I have... This co-host position, I I know you freelance. I'm wondering like if you wanted to come in, like this is what it pays, this is what it is. And it would just be this one day and I'd like to work with you again. And I was like, sure, I'll do it. Like send me the info. So I show up, we had such a good time together. And then I met some of the other people here and then um, sent my reel to somebody here, Jr. Uh, Also here, so Jason Carter is the initial guy who brought me in. And then JR, um, he's the senior producer here. He checked out my reel, and was like, oh, you should be doing stuff over on like our hard news section, like on our main show. And he got me on John. It's it's like my little trifecta. It's uh, Jason, JR, and John. Um, And then I started filling in on John's show. And then I joked that I just never left. But eventually (laughs) I was here so often, like they would call me in so often to do things. And now um, I work here full time.
0: You're locked down. They got mm-hmm. you.
2: Yeah. And,
0: and it sounds like it's been a it's a wonderful environment for you. It's a perfect I do think fit it's for a you.
2: It's a good it's a good environment for sure. Yeah, I do think it's a very good environment.
0: So what is it like working with some of the staff there? I know uh Cenk is someone who's uh Chenk Uger is obviously somebody who's associated most with it, but and I remember he said something really glowing about you, like they were doing a whole year in review, like they did a whole thing. It was like it was the year of Brooke Thomas. And he said all he had all these awesome things to say about you. it seems like you it, I could tell I see happiness when you're there. It's like it brings the best out of you there. And even seeing how you host and how you are, you manage to ha- you. You add a different air and a different voice to the place. And they seem to have embraced that and really they'll bring that out of you more.
2: I think that's nice of you to say. Thank you. I hope so. You know, it's it th- I think it's done. It's done pretty well.
0: I would say <laughs> you've done pretty well there. It's a it's a very progressive network. Clearly.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And,
0: it's, and it seems like that fits more than anything else. I think that
2: word, too, means a di- something different, too. Um, progress is different depending on where you start, where you know, your starting point is.
0: I would say in terms of since the time you've been there and the atmosphere around there, when you look at what you're doing for TYT, what would you, what would you say is maybe your favorite thing about being in there, about being on this network?
2: The newsroom, like my time in the newsroom, like my friends, like they are, I, and I I have made some really, really good friends in this business. Like I can go down the line of like my jobs and outside of um, North Dakota, because I worked solo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You were your favorite person in North Dakota. I worked
2: solo in North Dakota. (laughs) But outside of that, I can like name like multiple people that like I consider really, really good friends from each of my jobs and think of like just those moments when it like clicked like oh this is my person here like okay um but here there's a lot of those people and that's been really nice
0: and now that you're now that you're there and in this current political climate which is something that TYT is very much deep into uh-huh. for you what is that like being in a network such as this where it's not like you it's clearly it's nowhere near like Fox News or any of those other ones where it's it, it's highly polarized on the right. What's it like being in a place like this where they're very out front about their politics and very out front and open about the things they believe in and fight for? What's that for you? What's that like for you to be able to kind of openly express a lot of that too, being able to say what you really feel sometimes?
2: Yeah, I think that um, there's like an honesty that, you, that gets stifled in other aspects of this business that I don't fully have to worry about here. Um, I think that you know I'm a black woman in America I can never not be political. Do you, do you remember um oh my goodness and I'm losing her name and that's so weird because she's super famous. But there was a sheet cake segment on SNL about um kind of like ignoring politics and eating sheet cake and the pushback was like
0: oh my god um that is Right it's Faye. happening to you. It's Tina Fey. Tina yeah. Fey.
2: And so the pushback was like, well, yeah, if you look like Tina Fey, <laughs> you can <laughs> eat cheesecake. But like if your actual livelihood depends on politics, like politics determined my right to vote, my right to sit and not that wasn't too long ago, you know, like my right to sit in this space uh, with my coworkers who don't look like me, like so many different aspects of me being able to live my life to the fullest as I am right now are de- dependent upon politics or, or were. So I don't get to ever live my life, regardless of like what boss I have at the time and what they're saying to do and what the rules are at that network or at this place or at that place. I never get to delete that from, um, who I am. And so here I don't have to, you know, and I think we talk about being non-biased and, um, I do think I'm like kind of going on a tangent here, but I do think that like the type of journalist and and who I wanted to be and like my responsibility changed dramatically for me um, after Trayvon Martin was killed. It was a really big turning point for me, I think as a person and um, what I felt like my responsibilities were. And I do think that like, when we talk about being non-biased, I think that everybody has a different perspective and there are things that you can't delete. And a lot of times we're not necessarily being non-biased. What we are are two things, like you're being, um, silence is the voice of the oppressor. And so oftentimes your silence is choosing a side, like, you know what I mean? Which causes harm often. And then also I think like what people deem non-biased is generally like what they really mean is like, no, come at this as if you are coming from the perspective of a rich white man who's slim and who is a Christian.
0: And doesn't, and, and older, they skew older so too.
2: Anything that that person would, and did I say straight? Yes. And and that person, <laughs> anything, that's what I meant. Like all of those things, like that is what people deem to be non-biased, but that's so unfair. And it's also, it still comes with bias. It's just that you can't delete your perspective in this world and everyone's, is it's different. And it matters in the way we move through this world. and what we learn and what we know and what we experience that matters and it's different for a lot of people. And I don't think that, you know, like you can be Christian and still tell a story very fairly about an atheist. Exactly. You know, but that doesn't mean that you have to pretend that um, you didn't go to church Sunday. Yeah. Like you, <laughs> you, know what I mean? And, <laughs> you, and you no don't... one would force you to, if, because it's a a Christian thing, it's totally okay to celebrate straightness and to celebrate Christianity. It's okay to say thank God on on the news. It's okay to congratulate a straight couple getting married. And at a, you know, when it's a kicker at the end of a show in a small market, um, when we start openly celebrating things that affect marginalized communities, um, that is when people get like a little shaken like oh it makes some people uncomfortable but it makes a lot of people uncomfortable when you don't acknowledge it like why don't they matter and I think I always say like child abuse murder bad all bad no one says that you can't think murder is bad but (laughs) they struggle with saying you can't think racism is bad or you can't just kind of call it what it is and so I don't have to live in that space here which is nice
0: it's the conundrum that a lot of us deal with in newsrooms. I've yeah. run into that. I've run into situations where I very openly called a spade a spade. You see it right there. It's, yeah, it's and a, that's,
2: that's what our job is.
0: Exactly. It, it's one of those things where like, I covered sports for years. And my thing is, if I look at a scoreboard and it says 104 to 98, that's not in dispute. Right. One, if the score was 104 to 98. If I look at something and see, that's racist. You called somebody in N words. You dropped you, you 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 dropped all these racial slurs. That's racist. That's not yeah. up for debate. That's not one of those things where if a certain presidential candidate tends to have a whole lot of followers and supporters that happen to be a part of white supremacist groups, it's kind of easy to say that gee, he kind of appeals to white
1: supremacists.
0: <laughs> yeah. But don't in inter- turn send yeah. me an email and say, but you might be offending his supporters. All
2: right. Ugh. But
0: they don't they don't see this as a problem they don't see that as a deal breaker in fact some of them because like
2: the businesses are still the perspectives and like who makes a decision those those perspectives are still very heavy in one area and 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 not everyone who looks right this way or identifies as this is unwilling to bend and learn thank goodness but some still are
0: and that's the tough part because it it leads to issues that we run into and it leads to occasionally our own reporters being marginalized or silenced and it's it's so weird. And when you said that, it's like it because generally speaking, you want to be able to call facts out and be should, more yeah. and be and be more honest about that. You don't always get that opportunity to do so. I guess one last thing here, because this also brings us back to your podcast again, your podcast <laughs> controlling our narrative. What inspired you to get into this podcast game? How has that been for you? Because I've listened to it and I've listened to it kind of evolve slowly. It's It's gotten better each time I've heard it. How has that been for you, this process of getting into a podcast and doing more of this and being able to speak freely the way you do on there?
2: So it's a show that, like, I want and I wanted to see and I wanted to exist and that I wanted to be a part of. So that was part of it. And I think there are kind of two moments. Um, One of them is during, like, the last presidential election go round, there was a lot of talk about middle Americans. And it was being used as a euphemism for white people, right? I happen to be from <laughs> oklahoma.
0: i'm and I'm I- sitting here from Michigan, which is also <laughs> right. middle America.
2: And so it's like Detroit, Milwaukee, you know, like none
0: of this this is- Indianapolis, St. Louis, Minneapolis, Chicago, you know, <laughs> <Hope> city, <laughs> Kansas City, we could. Can- we can there there's black people in all those places.
2: Even freaking like Columbus, Ohio. Like, I, like, <laughs> <laughs> like we like we don't exist. Atlanta. I would say that's somewhat like Middle America. It's not a coastal, like it's not it's not New York City. It's not Los Angeles. It's St. Louis, lot, you know. Um and so but that was just kind of taken as as default. Like, yes, this is this is who we're talking to, and that ignores so many people. Most black Americans live in middle america in this country that was one part just like wanting to be able to talk about um wanting to be able to talk about how everyday stories affect us black people who are also everyday people and the importance of like not leaving us out of the conversation and like yeah we should have a conversation about how climate change specifically affects um black people in historically redlined communities that end up right around highways that end up in how like pollution and and we should know that and we should talk about that and those things should be talked about and also i was at the cork it's this bar here in la and this was i think it was like nba tv that was on and it was after the nba draft and they were talking about nba fashion and there was four white guys on a panel there was like and maybe it wasn't NBA TV. I, I so let me take that part back. But I do know it was about the NBA draft, and there was a a guy who like looked like he was from Miami, and he had like three or four like big dreads, and his hat sitting on top. And there became this like conversation, as if they had they didn't know that so many people in Miami look like that.
0: That is. <laughs> That which is incredible because that is that there are whole sections of Miami where that's where we're just, I was just in Miami for like right. I was just in Miami for an A B J. It's like right. there looked like that and all over the pretty much all over South Florida. not just even and, Miami. Right.
2: And so I think like one aspect of it is just that like oh my gosh, we can't even we need to be acknowledged. Like our stories need to be told, our stories need to be normalized. And the other part it's like, okay, when our stories are told, we're not sitting at the table. Not at all. And then another part is, like, having, you know, conversations, like, with my, like, with my black friends, like, with my family. Like, we don't always agree. We're so different. And I call it, I, I joke about this all the time. Do you ever, like, watch Survivor and you find yourself, it's just this thing that happens? Because there is, we do say, like, representation matters. And even as adults, we find ourselves, like, it's it's hard not to be excited when the one person looks somewhat like you, right? And so, like, you're watching Survivor, right, and there's that one black person. You end up rooting for them, right? But it's so frustrating because you don't like them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Like, sir, I want you to win, but I'm not killing you.
2: Right. And so how nice would it be if there were eight Black people and you got to pick your favorite based on personality? (laughs) I can finally
0: be (laughs) like, I don't like this guy and I don't feel guilty saying, homie, I want you to lose. Get the hell out of here.
2: Right. And so I just, I don't know, meshing all of that together. So like bringing different voices and also normalizing like um, us. And how everyday news affects us as everyday people in America and also normalizing like our culture in in a way that people aren't shocked about things that are so normal to us.
0: Such little things as certain things that go on in black households for holidays, certain traditions, certain things. Mm -hmm. Into my mother's originally from the south, and there's a lot of stuff from southern households that carry over into the Midwest because of the migration and everything like that. That people don't fully get. Like they'll look at they'll look at us weird when there's certain things. It's like that's just what we do. (laughs) <laughs> this is what we eat. I and mean, sometimes what we eat may not always be the best, but this is what we eat. This is what this is what we dance to. This is what we're into. Our music, our clothing. There's so many different things. I just had the last episode. I my friend is in Ghana, and there's and and Ghanaian culture is so much different from African American culture. And she told me about how she's had to kind of she sees the differences between the two even more expressively now. But people don't get that because at times we're just kind of written off as this monolith. Mm-hmm. And we are not we do not operate as a monolith. We do think no. different. We carry ourselves differently.
2: We and all we- somehow had the same mother who refused to take us to McDonald's without first asking if we had McDonald's money. But after that, were
0: different. <laughs> we might have all had the same mother who at some point told us to fix our face. I understand. <laughs> exactly. And I and admittedly, yes, I know I'm not one of your little friends. I get it. I'm (laughs) even now I still get that. What is something as we as we start to wrap this up? What is something what is like a bit of advice you would give to a young black woman who wants to come into this business? And knows that there's going to be good days and bad days. What would you tell from your experience? What would you tell a young black woman coming into this right now? Say she's about to graduate and she's on her way in and wants to do TV, wants to do radio. What would you say to her as advice?
2: Oh, my goodness. We are so much better and more successful and so much stronger together. So, like, don't compete with the other woman at the station. Like, rock with her. Support her. Help her be nice to each other, make friends, you know, obviously like don't put yourself in an abuse. if she's, you know, not like working, then obviously remove yourself from that situation, (laughs) but check your competitiveness. Like what's for you will be for you. And my life has been so much better. I think when I was being helpful, like taking how Merle treated me and I'm glad that like, that was like my first example, just someone who just has my back and that I just got to learn. I think that like, life is so much easier when you can either be that person for someone or when someone is that person for you and you're accepting of that. And I think that it's hard because this business pits everybody against each other. And there's so many insecurities because there may only be this position or this position, but you're not in competition with anybody. What's for you is for you. And even if you don't get the job and this other person does, it's because it's for them. Like that's who they wanted in that role. And there's something else and something that's a better fit for you. And I think that, like keeping your head kind of like locked on straight, like through that as much as this business is competitive in it, it just can mess your head up. Just like trying to shake the insecurities that I think this business can throw on you.
0: And we all have them. And yeah, we all had one point in our careers where we kind of questioned it because I, I can only think what it was like for you to move to LA and you were freelancing and freelancing, that freelance life is tenuous. And being able to keep your focus and keep your head through all that.
2: Sometimes. But once you get it down, it's so freeing. It's nice. You'd be like, wait, do I? Um, <laughs> 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 do, it's, when you can really lock it down, it's nice.
0: <laughs> so how can people get in contact with you? And where can they find your podcast? And generally, where can they find you?
2: Well, stay out of my DMs. But <laughs> you can find oh, me boy. on Instagram and Twitter. I'm, at, I'm Brooke on Air, Brooke with an E. If you don't know, and then my podcast, it's on iTunes, it's on Spotify, it's on um, every podcast listening platform, whichever one you like to use. It's called Controlling Our Narrative, and it's really fun, and um, I'd love to hear what you think.
0: That is Brooke Thomas. She's coming to us via Skype from Los Angeles. (laughs) I cannot tell you how wonderful it is to be able to finally talk to you. And actually, and and really, this has been so cool. This has been fun for me, too. I, I swear she's. If you don't know who she is, you should get to know who she is because you're gonna see a lot of her. And and she's missed here in Philadelphia. It's the first time I saw you. I remember turning on the. TV. I'm
2: actually gonna be in Philly like in a couple weeks.
0: Well then, well, well then definitely we, yeah. we have to get in contact with each other. I haven't right been now.
2: back to Philly in so long, but I'm gonna be in New York for something. And then my friend Trin Doe, she's a Tra- reporter. I- Trang,
0: I, I owe Trang so much because Trang helped me get my job.
2: That and I, I said this. She's right magic, she's, right? She, she's, she's just awesome. a beautiful person. She is. And so Trang had a baby, my little nephew. And so <laughs> I am dying to meet him and to see him. And so since I'm going to be in New York, it just made. Since I can't, I missed the baby shower. You know, I missed the gender reveal. I have to, um, I have to go and spend some time with him and my other good friend there, Renee. She just got engaged, and so I was on the phone with Renee the other day, and I tell them that I'm going to be in new york and it just made all the (laughs) sense
0: well we will be (laughs) to make that
2: little two-hour track so i'm going to be in philly
0: for a couple days well we we will definitely be in contact brooke this is wonderful thank you so much for doing this thank you so much for coming on jsc radio with me and obviously i wish you nothing but the best of success thank you so much it's always good to see you on on tyt and everywhere else so thank you so much for this thank you And there you have it. Another one in the books. I want to shout out and thank the Young Turks for allowing Brooke to come on the show this week and be able to get everything set up. Do not forget to support Brooke's podcast, Controlling Our Narrative. It has become appointment listening for me, and it will be for you, too. Be sure to search Controlling Our Narrative on any and all of your favorite podcast providers. And thank you so much once again to Brooke Thomas for coming on this show and enlightening all of us to everybody who's brand new to this thing welcome damn it welcome thank you so much for supporting this show be sure to add us on all your favorite podcast providers be sure of course again bit.ly slash jsc to get on the youtube page Follow me on Facebook at J. Scott Smith. No, check that. That's Real J. Scott Smith on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm J. Scott Smith. And be sure to jump on the page. It's JSC Radio no matter where you look. Thank you so much. Once again, we're going to take a couple weeks off for Thanksgiving and then be back at your ass in the first week of December with Episode 106. So until next time, my name is J. Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself god bless always dare to be different always have your pets spayed or neutered help control that pet population and we are out of here until next time have a happy thanksgiving and goodbye everybody
2: all right well thanks for talking to us all right thank you all right there you have it
0: you're listening to the people's podcast so
2: put that in your pipe and
0: smoke it this is j s c radio
1: about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was
0: bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand.
1: I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later killed the owner of the store he was trying to
0: rob.